In 2000, I was working at the Outside Music Warehouse in Toronto, packing CDs into boxes with other like-minded guys and bands and fine art types. Time spent at the warehouse got me very familiar with labels I had always wanted to sink my teeth into, like Blood and Fire, um, Zappa albums on Ryko Disc, and Varese. I was also able to stumble upon a disc called Sounds of Liberation by Che, a short-lived band fronted by Brant Bjork, ex-drummer of Caius and Fu Manchu. It struck me because the EP featured Alfredo Hernandez on drums, who, strangely enough, took over on drums in Caius when Brant left. The EP blew me away. I was already familiar with Brant's solo work on guitar and vocals, having the Gelamanta album he put out in 1999, and loved it. After these albums, I always collected everything he put out, whether it was Brant Bjork and The Operators, more solo albums like Keep Your Cool, Local Angel, Trace Diaz, and Punk Rock Guilt, or Brant Bjork and the Bros with Saved by Magic and Somera Soul. When we put out our album Sleep is the Enemy back in 2006, we had to figure out who would open for us when we toured it. And I threw out one of my favorite bands into the mix for possible consideration. Brant Bjork and the Bros. But I thought it was a long shot. Well, lo and behold, the band was free and wanted to do it. I was floored. Not only were we going to tour with one of my favorite bands, but I was going to get to see them every night and hang out with them. Brant and I had already met two years earlier in Marburg, Germany, when on a day off from tour, from our tour, we went to see Brant Bjork and the Bros do a show with one Nick Oliveri, then newly departed from Queens of the Stone Age. So it wasn't exactly a blind date like a lot of tours with bands can be, but more of a reacquaintance with some like-minded dudes. Our tour with Brant Bjork remains one of my favorite tours we've ever done. Maybe this has happened to you, and maybe you can call it extrasensory perception, but for most of my life, I've noticed that there are certain people that, before even meeting them, sometimes just on a photo alone, I instinctually know I will get along with that person and become good friends with them, or at the very least, end up spending a large amount of time with them. Brant has been one of these people. He's just a good hang. I've said this before, but if there really was a rock and roll high school, then Brant Bjork would be the coolest kid in the school. He is the dude. His singing, guitar playing, and drumming are so tasteful and so on point from where I'm coming from. I always have to keep abreast as to what he's doing. By now, everybody familiar with Brant Bjork should know that these days, Caius Lives is taking up most of his time. And with a new album on the verge of release, the band has decided to change their name to Vista Chino. It doesn't matter what they call themselves. It's just a chance to hear these desert guys bang out some music together again. I caught up with Brant while we were out on the Soundwave Festival in Australia. These were the last gigs they did under the name Caius Lives, and with Mike Dean on bass, it was definitely worth catching. What started as a casual catch-up conversation in the hotel lobby eventually became what you're about to hear, our third Soundwave podcast. Like all the other podcasts recorded at Soundwave, my voice was pretty shot. Even though this was the first one I ended up recording during our stay, you can hear how gruff my voice quickly became. Maybe it was a mix of jet lag, sleep deprivation, and just plain old giving it for the Australians that had it on the brink 
but at least I'm still able to speak here. I'm also using only one mic since I wasn't able to travel with my usual battalion of Yetis. And I'd like to thank Blue Mic Microphones for their Yeti mics and, of course, Skull Candy headphones because I couldn't do this podcast without both. So here it is. Here's my good friend, Brant Bjork, on this episode of the official Danko Jones podcast. And it starts now. All right, so uh, we're here today, um, first time doing a podcast in um, Australia, but the podcast is on the road, and uh, who better to, to start the podcast, the road podcast, with a man that I've toured with, Mr. Brant Bjork. Brant, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing really good. We're here in your hotel room, and uh, I'm upstairs. I came in the elevator, but um, we just we just hatched this no plans. We're just hanging out outside the hotel, just catching some wind. Yeah. And we just I just said, yeah, you know, I do this podcast. And you're like, yeah, won't do it. So here we are. Um, how's it going with Caius Lives? I, I caught you guys the first day at Soundwave, um, and you guys smoked it. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that would have been Brisbane. And that was a fun show. And uh, things are things are going well. Um, this this is for those who are unaware. Um, this will be our last run uh, here in Australia. These string of shows will, will conclude the Caius Lives chapter. And um, so, you know, as soon as we get home, we're um, we're running with the uh, the new name Vistachino and the new record. Um, but we, you know, but we're very, very excited to be in Australia, and we're super excited to, uh, you know, finish things up and play these last shows, and um, so everything's everything's super rad. We're stoked. Uh, the one thing of note for these shows that I don't think people have have seen with Kai Liz before. I've seen you guys with Scott Scott Reader, and uh, Mike Dean is on bass for this for this run, and it's a very special treat for everybody who's getting to watch this version of Caius Lives because Mike Dean is a monster bass player. Mike Dean is a monster bass player and and, an even more monster guy. He's a very cool guy. And um, for me, it's a dream come true. He's always been one of my favorite bass players. And, um, you know, uh, bass players, it's kind of always proved to be an interesting element to Caius. (laughs) And, um, you know... um, Things just worked out where we had to, to uh, quickly make some adjustments for the Australian run here, and um, I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for the moon and give old Mr. Mike Dean a call, and within like 10 minutes, uh, you know, the dream was realized. So uh, he came out to the desert and we uh, we woodshedded and worked on the uh, the songs for about um, four days. And then here we are, and so yeah, I'm I'm really really excited. I think I speak for the rest of the guys in the band, John and Bruno, and um, and it is a treat for the fans. And I think you know, for me, it's just just a real poetic and wonderful way to wrap wrap up the Caius, uh, you know, 
legacy and with uh, playing our last shows with uh, Mike Dean on bass. I think that's awesome. It's it's awesome. I, I didn't know about the Mike Dean edition until we were on the flight over here on the on the journey over to Australia. And, you know, just knowing about you guys, I always keep tabs as, as to what's going on with all you guys individually and, and as a unit. And I was just wondering, like, who's on bass? Like, who could they have gotten on bass to, like, I mean, you're, the, the, the bass lineage in, in, in Caius is, like, you, you got to keep, I don't know how further you guys got to top, you know, what, who has is, who is <laughs> taken that slot. Mm. And then when I heard it was Mike Dean, I was like, Oh, you mean the guy who should be in Metallica? <laughs> um, that's pretty heavy. I, yeah. I think for me, um, I know there's a whole bunch of friends back home. If I send them an email with a JPEG of me and Mike, <laughs> I will get severe jealousy replies back. So I'm, I can't wait. I tried doing it yesterday. I met him for the first time. Yeah. And you, you guys were on your way out, so I just said, hey, uh, uh. Oh, yeah. and then just downstairs before I went upstairs, you were talking to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, mm-hmm. um, uh, I did, I did. You didn't see it because you had your back mm-hmm. to me, and I was like, um, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I went right back into the elevator. But uh, I, I saw you guys, like I was telling you outside the hotel, fucking juicy bass that fits so perfectly mm-hmm. with everything that everybody knows of Caius mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, I you know the Vista Chino is is just a a new chapter in, into what you guys are already doing, mm-hmm. and um, you know, be cool if Mike was, <laughs> but you know whatever. But I think it, it's it's cool that it, he's yeah, here. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think I totally understand where you go with that, and I I think I I, I share the same same. Uh, you know, opinion that it would be uh, it would be super deluxe to, to move into the future um, with the Mike Dean. Um, you know, he is he is uh, you know a, a cornerstone stone in, in corrosion and conformity, and, and and the world is a better place with them existing. And and uh, yeah, but so I, I it's tough, man. But you know, we'll, we'll just see what happens. I yeah, mean, it's he's a he's a he's an awesome awesome bass player and an awesome person and. Uh, you know, it's amazing what he's done in in a week's time with the Caius material. Because let's face it, it's it's not the easiest material to just pick up and run with. And I mean, he's you know, it's just amazing. And uh, it, it it'd be it'd be super super insane to see what we were capable of doing in like six months' time of playing together. I mean, it, there's moments in the desert when we were jamming where it was like, I mean, we literally jamming, and it was getting into zones of of like wow. This is incredible. So, um, uh, I, I think there is a musical future for us, and we'll just have to wait and see exactly what that is. I know COC just put out a new album. Um, did you fly him in from where is it, North Carolina or Raleigh, North Ro- Carolina? Yeah, yeah. So he's still out there. Yeah, he still lives out there, and along with Reed and Woody, and and uh, and they did. They just uh, they just released a new EP on Scion uh, with Scion. And it's it's really cool. It's really of course. Yeah. And so um, yeah, they're still an active, super rad band. Yeah. So when I saw Caius Lives the other day for the first Soundwave, that was the first time you guys were jamming in front of people. That's the first time we ever played in front of people, Mike Dean. Yeah. You know, when I saw you guys in Toronto, I was on your bus talking to you and John in the back lounge, and that was the first show of your tour. Yeah. You guys were really nervous. Yeah, that was the first show. And um, 
Yeah, and I think that was the first. Was that the first show with Reader? No, I don't know if that was the first show with Reader. It might have been. It might have been. Might have been. I, there was some like yeah. real tension, not like yeah. tension, bad tension, but you guys were really nervous. Yeah, about I think it. it was. I think that had a lot to do with it. I think yeah, it was the first show with Reader. There was something special about so, it. Yeah. yeah um, sure. So that's cool. I. Um, how we know each other is is through us reaching out to you like seven years ago because mm. we're all big Brant Bjork and the Bros fans and all your all your your solo albums. What's going on there? Because you, you you were for a while there, you were like churning them out mm-hmm. pretty steadily. Has yeah, that I, taken a back seat or? Um, you know the uh, the the when John asked me to get get back together and, and pursue. Um, Caius again um, it's just Caius is one of those things that just demands a lot of attention and it kind of consumes you and and rightfully so and, and I, I I took I took the offer and ran with it knowing that I was going to have to put put my solo work on the shelf so to speak and I did just that I've actually got three records literally recorded and on the shelf which I'm going to get to this year um, um, but you know it, it couldn't have come at a better time because I, I did hit it hard for about ten years with my solo work, and um, I felt like I felt like I could use a change, you know. Um, and uh, getting back on the drums and returning to Caius was a, was just an amazing left turn that was really really um, uh, healthy for me as a, as a musician and as you know just as just in terms of just being creative and stuff. So even though it was a, a return to the past, it was really foot forward in the future for me as well so it was it was good and I'm I, you know there are moments of course when I I get hungry to work on solo work and I, I do still record some some songs from time to time like just sketches and ideas and stuff but um, I'm pretty content where I'm where I'm at right now um, and we'll just have to see and how are the other uh, bros doing like how's Dylan doing is he still part of the fold there and Dylan's doing good in fact he was just up at my house uh, out in the desert a couple weeks ago, and we were hanging out, just chit-chatting. He he lives a couple towns away, so we hook up sometimes during the week when I'm out in the desert and just hang out and rap and listen to music. And he's doing really good. And um, we do talk about um, getting back together, um, you know, if and when I get uh, get my solo band, the Bros, back together. He's, we'll see. We we haven't made any formal plans, but um, you know, Dylan's he's like a, like a brother to me, so. Um. Is, would he be a consideration in, in the Vistachino, or is that a separate thing? Or you know, I don't know. It's funny. We we did talk about that a little bit, and um, I I I honestly I I, I don't want to speak for Dylan, but I know Dylan is still recovering from from uh, the removal of a of a pretty serious tumor in his in his brain. Yeah, that and, was like um, four years ago yeah, or something. Yeah, and and he's doing great. He's recovered and uh, he's he's doing really well with that. But you know, he is still um, cautious about not getting too radical, so to speak, in his lifestyle. So let's face it, a touring rock band right. could be uh, maybe a positive thing for him, and maybe not. I guess it depends on him, you know. But um, we we have talked about it, but. Um, we don't know. You know, right now we still have some work to do with Caius Lives with this last run and, and, and a couple 
touch-up uh, pieces on the new record. So we're just focusing on that, and then when we come to the bridge of finding a bass player for Vistachino, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. When I saw Caius Liz, I think I've seen you guys three times. I even spent New Year's with you, like, last year at uh, Cherish's place in mm-hmm. Toronto, mm-hmm. at Cherry Cola's yeah. Rock and Roll. And uh, that was the only time out of the three where I didn't see grown men crying. <laughs> grown men crying. There was, like, the, the show that we saw in Toronto, which was, like, the first show of your tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of ours had a box of... He brought a box of Kleenex. <laughs> And he was ready. He was showing everyone he has a box of Kleenex, and wow. he's 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 like, I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> that's how that's how crazy and such a response you guys elicit with the music of of Caius. Um, <clears throat> I know there's a, a big uh, pressure for you guys to follow it up with Vistachino, and everybody's looking to you guys for you know the next chapter, mm. even if it's under a different name. Mm. Everybody's going to know what it really. You know what it is and what it stands for. Is there that you, you guys feel that pressure, or is it because people like me say there's pressure that you feel the pressure? Or? No, I, I think there's certainly pressure, and and um, and rightfully so. I mean, you'd have to expect a, a return to a band like Caius after that that much time has passed, and 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 you know, and you know, let's let's be brutally frank. We we did have to um, experience and go through a, a very intense, you know internal conflict and and all that adds to the whole experience of us just wanting to celebrate our our band and um everybody's got their own ideas of what Caius is and and what it was and what it what it shouldn't be or should be in the future and um you know so we felt we felt all of that and um but I think we just did a great job of just being who we are and, and, and being the musicians that we are. And we just, you know, we went to work, man. Caius, what Caius is to us is not necessarily what Caius is to everyone else. And that's not to, I, I say that respectfully. I mean, you know, it's imp- fans are, are everything. But Caius is just something else for us, man. And, and, and we, you know, we went to work. We made a record. This podcast, um, <clears throat> I try to like not have it be like so Q and A, and um, just me being like a fanboy. I guess it's, it's turning into that. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how to get off this whole Kai's thing because I'm sure you're gonna have or you have had enough of these kinds of <laughs> interviews and shit. So um, I'm gonna just ask other questions and start other conversations. That has to do with growing up in the desert because everything I've read about anyone associated with the desert within the whole Caius era, um, especially, you know, from you, people like you and from John talking about growing up in the desert. And uh, I've heard it secondhand from from uh, Cherish as well, friends of Cherish. And and, uh, it just sounded like the perfect spot to get into like all kinds of stuff when you're a kid like how how do i have it right 
in terms of like getting into punk rock, heavy metal, you know, casual light drugs, just in skateboarding. You know, that whole lifestyle to me is idealized because I live in Toronto mm. and you guys are out in the desert. You come out with this crazy ass cool music and I don't know, you, you guys just seem to have everything down. Whereas back in Toronto, I felt like we were always playing catch up to places like the desert. Is that true? Have I idealized it too much? Well, I think that's just the natural perspective you would have from someone, you know, in, in Toronto or, or anywhere, for that matter, outside of Southern California. But really, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, we can all agree that Southern California, specifically Los Angeles and Orange County and, and San Diego, these are epic centers for, for you know, radical moving forward culture. Uh, musically and and, um, and um, spiritually, whatever you know, and you know, really, we're like, we were fringe. We we weren't part of that really. Um, we were close, but no cigar kind of thing. We yeah. lived in the middle of nowhere, and we were just just far enough away from these places where you you, you know, we weren't surfers. We we all had surfing posters on our wall because we we wanted to be surfers. But, you know, we live in the middle of the desert. <laughs> right. So we, we skateboarded, of course, and took that very serious. But but um, so we were different. You know, we were Southern California, but we were desert. And so we were different from, like, L.A. and San Diego. And um, and to be quite honest, and I, and I think I do speak for for uh, all the desert people that I grew up with, we were we were kind of kind of bummed, to be quite honest. I mean, the irony of, of people showing interest in the desert now is is just amazing because growing up out there we were bored and we were just you know frustrated and it was uh you know and if that wasn't enough uh living in a wasteland it's hot you know so like during the summer like you don't even skateboard at during the day it's too hot to skateboard we had to skateboard at night you know and um but what it did is like any any people that would grow up in the middle of nowhere um when something comes into town it's important and um when someone gives you you know um, a cassette tape with like you know hardcore punk like that's gold you know uh we didn't have like record stores we didn't have you know um cool places to play we didn't have a cool you know we, we didn't have those things that was you know readily available everywhere in, in San Diego and in, in LA and places like this so it was like things were important we took things um, to heart and, and, and obviously that being music so all of all the people that I grew up with we loved our music and it was really important to us and um, and for those for, for those of us who were playing music it was um, uh, even more important it was it was our it was what we lived for it's all we had. I kind of, I've kind of, you know, in my own opinion and mind, I it, it kind of reminds me of what it must have been like for the guys who grew up in Jamaica and how they're isolated. They're on an island and they're into music, and and it's a very serious place. They took their music very serious. That's all they really had, and that was like that was the the um, what what brought a lot of people together there. And um, 
And that's how it was in the desert. It was the same thing for us. But aside from the music, there's also this, and I liken it to a track off the Brant Bjork and the Bros double album, Saved by Magic. Mm. You do a spoken word track where you talk about a girl and you talk about, uh, I can't remember the, the details of it, but I do remember like there was a kiss and candy and all this stuff. And the way you lay it out, you got to understand that I went back to when I was uh, uh, 12 years old and I had to shovel the driveway of my parents' house. And just knowing like there was this place, you know, getting into music allowed you to find out about other places. So, so I knew of all these bands coming from California. That was a, that was a, a real hot spot for, for all the music I liked. And I just knew that they never had to wear long johns and mm-hmm. shovel the driveway. So if, mm-hmm. when I hear a track that you you put on Save by Magic like that, that's that's my knee jerk reaction. I go straight to that point in my life when I'm shoveling the driveway of my parents' house. And I remember this one time that I was like I was so into Van Halen, mm-hmm. and and Roth had just put out uh, Crazy from the Heat, mm-hmm. and he had all these videos with all these girls in bikinis, mm-hmm. and I was shoveling the driveway. <laughs> With long johns on because it was like minus 20, and I was like, What the heck? Who lives here when there's like Disneyland over there? And so I guess it's always the grass is always greener. And over the years, you know, with like, you know, when you grow up, like the whole the Roth and the bikinis and the the thing, you get a kind of a kind of a more uh, grown up version of that. And I and I, I responded in an equal way. When I got older, mm. to like the 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 image I had of of the desert mm. and all the music and all the people that I'd see who were coming out of it, all the bands and everything that was coming out of it was something that I like. Really felt a kind of a a, a synergy with, like a, an alignment with. Mm. Although I was like on the other side of the continent. Yeah. Well, I, I, for me, it was the same. I mean, I grew up. Um, and idolizing the Ramones, they were my favorite band, and, and I romanticized New York, and you know, and I, I wanted to, you know, uh, I'm I'm wearing shorts and 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 Vans, and I have an afro, and but I want straight long black hair, and I want to wear a leather jacket, and I want to be hanging around at CBGBs, you know. So I was like, I I just was about as far as I could be from from the environment that spawned my favorite band. So I I I too had that romantic. Uh, Attachment and and also that frustration of being like, man, I'm in the middle of nowhere with fucking palm trees and right. like you know this sucks you know, so it's so it's so funny how that happens. But um, you just don't realize that you as an outsider when you're when you feel like an outsider, it's it's um, it's a real kind of fertile ground for coming up with some cool shit. You just don't realize it when it's happening, which mm. is. Which is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And for us, that was certainly how it was because we had records, and and you know the extent of it was the record covers and what's what came out the speakers, uh, but we didn't have anything to bounce our ideas off uh, except just ourselves in this small town, and so we were we were kind of like all leaders because there was nothing to follow, and um, and I think that's why there's so many you know, really rich individuals that came out of the desert, you know, and, um, and, and so unique and we're all have our own style really. And, um, that's, that's the, that's the, um, the, 
the, the beauty in us being isolated. And, and, and around the late 80s, when, when I personally started to come into awareness that maybe this, this hellhole of a, of, a, of a world we live in um, could, could potentially be something we could be proud of, actually. And that was, that was the revolution, um, the revolutionary uh, feeling that I had, mm -hmm. you know, like, wow, like, you know, so it was interesting, you know. I remember when we were on tour together, it turned into this thing where at the end of the night when the whole crowds had already dispersed and it was just the two bands in the dressing room, I don't know how it got to this point, but there's a lot of nights where it would just be our two bands in the dressing room and then you'd tell these stories about like whether it was touring in Caius for the first time, those first tours going across the, uh, the, the country. And I remember that one story you told about uh, your first time at CBGB's and then going, going, uh, going inside the club and then uh, you seeing uh, Joey Ramon. Joey Ramon, yeah. And and how was how was how how was how was that those first uh, tours taking it being so isolated uh, in the desert and then going out just across the country um, uh, how, how was it like and, and compared to today when you're kind of doing the same same thing as that first tour mm -hmm. but but it's it's on a much more global scale I mean is there is it you know, is there some sort of well, similarity, or is it too detached now, or is it? Um, well, my 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 experience traveling and touring today, of course, is is a hundred percent different than it was in in those first tours I did in the uh, early nineties, and, and and back then it was it was really surreal, and it was it was kind of a uh, uh, almost like the myth was shattered um, in terms of. You know, when you're a fan, and and you have these these rock and roll uh, ideologies and dreams and stuff, and then you and then you go out and you travel the country, and you realize how much of rock and roll is a fantasy, and 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 how appropriately it is. I mean, that's what it is. There, I mean, you know, the blues are a part of rock and roll, and there's a real element to that. But the other part of it is entertainment. You know, it's about blue suede shoes and dancing and having a good time. You know, and um, and you get out there in a van and you're like, you know, you're, you're making these long drives and you're, and, you're, and you're rolling into town and playing with these bands and you realize, man, wow, this is like, we're all, we're all like a bunch of suckers. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But it's important. And, and you love it and it's what we, you know, for me, I mean, music's my life. And I realized out there on those first tours, like, wow, man, like, this is hard work, man. This is intense. You got to really, truly love this. And thank God I do. And, um, but it, that's where you really start to reflect on who you are as a musician and why you're into it and, you know, where you come from and what you could potentially contribute to the world of music, specifically rock music. And, um, so it was a, it was a, a rite of passage for, for, for me, you know, in, in just, in, in my, my dream of being a musician and going, gosh, I think your first couple tours are the ones that you decide, wow, do I really want to do this? You know, yeah. could I really do this? And, and, uh, so that was, that was the, uh, the, the uh, educational element to those first tours, but it was, but it also made me really have a new appreciation for the bands and the music that I grew up with out in the desert. You know, I was like, 
I, I thought I was going to be like running into these amazing bands in all these amazing cities and, and, um, and you know sometimes you do and a lot of times you don't so, so when I got home it was like I was pretty stoked to return to the desert and just kind of get back to the root of things and then um, that, was, that was probably the foundation for my contribution to to making the music that I make yeah, yeah like when people um come to me sometimes asking for advice about like how do you get into music I always tell them don't do it quit <laughs> don't even bother <laughs> and it's all uh, I mean I don't I, I, I kind of meet at 75% of it and the mm. 25% I keep open because if they hear that mm. and they still continue to knock on the door well then maybe they got what it takes you sure. know what I mean so yeah. I think those early those early tours really are act as like the weeding process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's only like this I guess I don't know if it's the strong survive or the foolish are left <laughs> so but yeah, you know, yeah like you said you feel like a sucker when you're in the middle of going the f- this is it man yeah. where's like the Steven Tyler like yeah. line of coke and women and yeah, all that yeah. stuff so yeah sure. yeah totally I've totally felt like I got suckered by like circus magazine you know I'm like fuck Jesus I was only 11 and I'm in my 20s now you know like when you first start I'm like I'm in my 20s I'm fucking I'm following an 11 year old mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like who want an 11 year old's wish yeah that's what I, call, I refer to it, for me it's 13 I always say I'm, yeah it's the 13 year old in me yeah. It's like, that's what's going on. Yeah. Me, for sure, man. But that's a beautiful thing, you know. I mean, I say sucker, and I, and I, I like you said, I'm, I'm half serious and half kidding. But it, it, it is a beautiful thing. I'm blessed to have a life in music. Uh, I, I, I did decide to dedicate my life to it, and I'm, I'm glad I did. And it's in me, and I, I, feel, I feel proud, and I feel confident in being my ability to contribute to rock music. And so um, it's been a great life. That's the best way to end, man. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Well, I spent some time wandering around this town, walking off those vibes that pick me up and then they drop me down. And the local angel spreads her wings when she sees that I fell and broke my crown. She says, where you going? Where you been? I said, I'm broke as a joke and I think I'm going crazy. She said, well, I got all night. And I said, well, then I'll tell you where I've been. <laughs>